the football pod on OTB Sports. Have you ever seen a team like Limerick that are so physically dominant? They're yeah, absolutely oh. financially <laughs> dominant. <laughs> the football pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. Our performances was just lacked that intensity. Okay, so as you said, that there's a, a load of different things to get into. That point that I just made there a moment ago, the GEA League uh, being in tatters is something we're going to kick off with. We're going to go through Everton, Manchester United, some of the hurling storylines, Galway and what happened in that game against Mayo yesterday, and hopefully get all that in over the next little while. But just on that uh, GEA League form, I think it's a common theme that we saw over the course of the weekend that some of the storylines that we thought might have prevailed throughout the summer have already been left in ruins, really. Now, I don't think that anybody thought that the hurling storylines from the league were going to maintain in summer, for example, Limerick. Well, uh, but Wexford, I did think Wexford were going to like use the league as a springboard to catapult themselves into maybe contention. Like, th- I thought that they were on the coattails of Waterford across the league, and then Dublin did them. Now, Wexford will rue missed chances, missed freeze, missed penalty, second second week in a row, missed penalty, and uh, but they could be out. Like that could be it for them, and they should be out. If Galway just hadn't bottled the last five minutes against them, then uh, Wexford will be gone from the championship. So they're they're hanging on by fingernails at the moment. Yeah, like the thing is, Dublin didn't have a bad league themselves at all. Like they finished above Tipperary in the league, although maybe on the evidence yesterday, that's not actually something to write home about. But Wexford definitely better. It felt. Dan Dublin definitely the league, so. like Dublin collapsed in the league and you can kind of pinpoint the game against uh, Kilkenny where they were going yeah. into that game going oh we're full of confidence this is something real and then collapse but they bounced back and they, they played good hurling and they you know they uh, outthought Wexford in that game form is just bizarre really isn't it when you think about it like when you we know that we can't ever compare results from you know team A against team B and then team B against team C and hope that A and C matches up on that but even by that like knowing that it, it nothing like that even makes sense it, like you talk about those the Dublin hurling team and like you would have looked at the, maybe the game against Leash in week one and you might have pointed to even that not even the league you might have pointed to week one they and nearly said, lost Listen, like this, this could actually be a, a real problem for them if that's where they where they're at, or maybe Leash are just really good, and then Kilkenny absolutely tear Leash limb from limb at the weekend. So uh, nothing makes sense. We know absolutely nothing, and uh, we maybe should never ever get into the prediction game or trying to put any sense on what happens because the championship is random and uh, wonderful, and uh, that weekend was was just crazy. And that's just the hurling, the football form lines have also been left in tatters, which is a little bit more surprising because the Football League matters more than the Hurling League right now and that's that's the truth. I think, to be fair, a lot of people had said that the back-to-back games against Roscommon from a Galway perspective, you can't read a whole pile into them. I wasn't sure, I don't, I don't know, but uh, people had made the point that maybe the first of those two games was a bit of a phony war because Galway had already got promoted and secondly, they were two weeks out from the Mayo game so why would they bother showing their hand against Roscommon in Croke Park. I'm not sure if that's actually the truth, but they definitely did have a different game plan yesterday. There was definitely a better defensive game plan. I think they had an extra man back against Roscommon in that league final, but it was pretty ineffective. Yesterday, that defence was far more packed. It was a perfect antidote to Hornball. 
Um, and at the same time, then they only win the game by a point. So again, like I think we just need to accept when it comes to this Galway Mayo fixture yesterday, there were a ton of different ways that you can actually look at it. When you look at the tragic players that Mayo have to, to come back into the team, when you look at the fact that Mayo that Galway in slow motion almost ended up losing grip on that win yesterday. Yeah, like it would have been, it would have been less extraordinary had Mayo scored two goals and, and drawn the game. It was like five points just rattled off, and Keegan goes over the bar at the outside of the boot. You're like, okay, nice. You know, Mayo are, are turning it on now, and it doesn't actually matter. And were it not for maybe poor shot selection from Aidan Norm right at the end, if they'd passed the ball around in the loop one more time and found a, a shooter, like it's a draw. And to pick off six consecutive scores in a row would have completely changed how we're talking about this Galway team this morning. But it sometimes takes a really ugly uh, conclusion to grind out a big result at the very start for a manager's reign to get going. And it feels like Park Joyce has been one of those managers who's been mostly affected by COVID just because of the height that Galway were at in early 2020. So you've got to look at that and you've got to look at the, the management team that he's got around him and, and some of the players that are clearly on the upward trajectory. And that includes someone who's 32 in, in Paul Conroy at the moment, who's playing the best football of his life. And you're saying, OK, I th- think the fact that they won is more important than the fact that they almost lost. If that makes any sense. It does. It, it. I mean, I see the benefits of the argument. And here's the thing. Like, it's Leitrim in the next round. We'd expect them to win that. And then it'll be Roscommon in the final. So an opportunity for them to win the important game against Roscommon this year and to bounce straight into an All-Ireland quarterfinal with the confidence of a title behind them. At the same time, are you are you making them overwhelming favourites? Are you making them five-point favourites against Roscommon? No. You're not. Like. No. You know, would you be terribly surprised if Roscommon beat them on the day? Absolutely not. No. So uh, I, I think if they'd, if they'd seen the game out, uh, if they'd won by five points, you'd be like, ah, yeah, that was a great performance. That's like a signature win for them. It's just that there was also a signature near collapse. Yeah. Yeah. And they, there is time. And I think the fact that they have another game before what should be Roscommon and what should be a win in that game before Roscommon is something that's really going to benefit them. Like if we kind of like keep on the theme of league form, like, I know Mayo were hockeyed in the league final, but they got to the league final. They were, on the table, the second best team in Division 1 this year. And I think if you looked at the league final, you would have said, OK, well, they just didn't care about that game. They're, they're keeping things up their sleeve and they're going to show them against Galway. And we didn't see that at all. And I think, that's, I think the Mayo level of performance is actually quite surprising, even allowing for the fact that they were missing a lot of really important players. I think Rob Henley is a big loss to this team at the moment. I think Paddy Durkin is a, is a big loss to this team. I think Killian O'Connor needs time, yeah. but he's going to get time. It is six weeks until Mayo play again. Like it, like it's, it's three times the gap that they have between the Kerry and Galway game, the gap that they now have before their next game. Yes, it's going to be a very good team that they play. There's a good chance it'll be a very good team that they play, but like it's, there's a long, long time for them to, to get things back together, and I would not be surprised if they got further than Galway in this championship. Uh, six, six weeks is like a, a taper down, go on holidays, do a full preseason, taper back up, and then you go again. It's an insane amount of time. It's like it's almost like this championship structure hasn't been thought through properly. <laughs> yeah, possibly. And here's the other thing: no one's going to show up to these games. There, no one's going to. You know, we we should not. We should definitely not factor in any financial benefit of having twenty seven thousand at games. That's you cannot do that. You can't. People don't want to watch championship matches in April. They definitely don't. It's too cold outside. Yeah. yeah like the Proposal B is useless. <laughs> well, I mean, like the league did take a battering this weekend. I mean, that's what the, the counterpoint to that would be. Yes, because the championship is the only thing that matters. And if everybody was playing the championship, everybody would show up. 
in big numbers because we want to see good games between teams. And look at all the look at all the, the minnows, the games between the minnows. They were all great. There was there was something in all of them to make you show up. The game in Ockram sounds like it was an absolute roller coaster. A goal fest. Um, the other uh, league uh, form line that we were interested in was Armagh. Uh, I think I'd like I think that maybe we kind of spoke about this at the end of the league that the form wasn't as hot as it was at the, the start. Well, that's of the it, isn't it? That actually, is, is this not a? Is this, does this not situation. blow up your argument here? In that yeah, Armagh's league form has has actually come straight through, and also Donegal's Bally Buffet form has come through, where the you know it's a complete fortress. Uh, no thanks. No, no one's ever going to win there again. And uh, if they could play every game there, they'd be all Ireland champions. Th- it's the it's the equivalent of Dublin Croke Park. Well, what was are are Donegal very flaky or very unflaky? Like, what, what, how do you look at this this whole decade that they've had since since last week in All Ireland and and put a word on it? Like, if you have to go, you're, you're a tabloid headline writer and you've got one word. Are you going flaky or unflaky? <laughs> Is unflaky a word? No, I don't know. Uh, uh, un- unbreakable would be the opposite of flaky would it be but that's not really they're not that either like they beat Armagh by one point on the final day of the league when they had that brawl like they were th- that was the form line and like they'd lost to Dublin in Crow Park the week before that obviously Armagh had beaten uh, Dublin in Crow Park earlier in the league I do think that this does break the form a little bit but I, I, I also do accept that there were signs that Armagh were uh, as I say not as hot as they were earlier in the league but Donegal also and Bally Buffet as you say are just this incredible beast but also in, in the Ulster Championship full stop that the problem for Donegal has been getting to the semi-final when it really matters and yes that has over the last two seasons in particular tripped its way into the Ulster Championship because there was no back door there's a there's a bit of a mayo about them and I mean that in the best way possible where they will get to a certain level and they will put up impressive performances throughout the season before falling at a hurdle that's been a problem for them over the last little while and not getting to a semi-final since beating Dublin in 2014 is constantly going to be the thing that that, I guess, really irks Donegal people because they feel that that team was definitely good enough and has been good enough to get to a semi-final. I but mean, they that's should not have, what they, you should be talking about. I mean, I think they should have beaten Kerry in the Ireland final. I do. I do think they should have beaten Kerry in that, in that Ireland final. And we'd be talking completely differently about that Kerry team if, if uh, you know, the ball hadn't been kicked out to Donaghy and Donaghy hadn't kicked it in the back of the net. But... I think that they're the what you can say about them. It's not a very snappy headline. Is that they have a like a paper thin squad, and that that paper thin squad breaks down again and again and again when one player or two players get injured. It's been McBrady or Murphy getting injured at one stage of the season or other, and they they appear to be fit at the moment. And as a result, they're like taking care of business against a Division One team, like it was a routine victory for them. Yeah, and it could have been more. Like I know Armagh had that flurry at the start of the second half where they could have picked off a couple of goals, but Donegal should have gone in this break with a, with a bigger lead. And if they if they were in Munster or if they were in Leinster, they'd now be looking forward. Or if they were in Connacht, they'd be looking forward to a bit of cannon fodder and then one more game and then you're in an all-in quarter final. But as it is, it's like okay, another slog, another slog, and and there'll be brawls and there'll be suspensions and there'll be injuries along the way. So I think that's what explains it. Is there anything in that game yesterday that suggests that? Armagh had their eye off the ball as a result of the suspensions because this was uh, an argument put forward by Mark O'Shea in the Mail on Sunday yesterday that when he got off a suspension back in the day for a Munster semi-final or maybe a Munster final against Cork he just played really poorly he said that when Lee Keegan got off a suspension a few years ago for Mayo in a big championship match he played poorly he made the point that Dermot Connolly uh, after a famous late night suspension let off uh, nobody actually remembers how the Connolly played in that game. Not great. Uh, not great. So yeah. uh, he actually called this yesterday that, that Armagh 
were going to be affected in a negative way by the suspensions, and that's been an argument that's been put out. I'm not sure if I fully subscribe to it, but I think maybe on Donegal's, uh, I think that just tells us something about Donegal that they were like it was kind of like Liam Cahill-esque, where they're like we're not going to appeal these, and we're, we're going to focus on ourselves and, and actually control what we can control. As it turns out, you can control the disciplinary process as well. To be honest, but maybe that just indicated a bit more about Donegal's mentality going into the game. I don't know. Like it feels like a, not not a watertight argument, but well, it's, it's I, something. It exists. And fair play to him for making it in advance, because certainly it, uh, afterwards you can go. Well, I mean, there's something yeah. to it. Uh, I don't know. I think like is there something to the fact that maybe Armagh need to reestablish themselves as a Division One team over many years, so that when stuff like this happens or when they go through the back door, they're ready for whatever comes next. Like I don't think Armagh are done just yet. I, no. I certainly, you know. Armagh Mayo will be a good ding dong battle uh, at a neutral venue. Are the qualifiers going to be neutral? I don't know, are they? I presume so, but uh, again, you can't assume anything. It's it's usually, I I I don't know. Like I I hope so, and like that would be an absolutely brilliant uh, clash between those two. So what you're looking at is is whoever comes through now over the next couple of weeks to to, to try and beef up those qualifiers. But it's going to be Mayo against one of those Ulster teams is the the fixture you want to see. Who are the best? Who are the easy teams left? Who are going to be in the qualifiers? Like, who are the easiest teams? Who, who is everybody looking at going, yeah, I'll take you? Cork, really, isn't it? Uh, Mead. Mead stayed up. It was, it was awfully and down. He went down from Division 2, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, so, Louth, potentially after getting their promotion from the Division 3. Uh, Louth are going to be in the answer final. Yeah, as, as, it, as it turns out. Uh, like, it, there, there is... Now they're 4-1 and 5-point underdogs against Kildare, by the way, which are, I think... Um, uh, that's an incorrect assessment of how that game's going to go. Like, never can you ever point a finger at somebody and accuse them of yarring away their county's chances. You're sitting here, what are we, five days in advance on a Monday morning after the busiest weekend in sport, and you're pushing this narrative that Kildare are going to get beaten by. No, that. I think it's. I think it's a fifty. I think it's much closer to a fifty-fifty game than a four-to-one outsider in a two-horse races. Like that's that's incorrect. It's a two-point game, and it'll be in the melting pot right until the end. Uh, we, we'll see. We'll they, see. They just but scored five, five ten. They yeah, and they a have fifteen point victory in a. Like I mean, they have a, they have a couple of like outstanding forwards, and like I know Sam Mulroy's got a lot of the the credit this year. But Kieran Byrne is obviously excellent as well. But Kildare would be like, I see your two. I see, I see your couple of uh, excellent forwards, and I'll raise you three. And they've got a, uh, an inside forward line that is just primed to do damage in the Leinster Championship outside of maybe a game against Dublin at the moment. And, and Kildare should be licking their chops at it, the prospect of having a few games in the Leinster Championship after slogging it out in Division 1 all spring. Like This is where those, those three inside forwards really should come into their own. So uh, that defeatist attitude, I don't think, is, is going to wash in, in that camp this week. An impressive win for Cavan. Coy Bibb, says Shane. Uh, yeah. Shifty Lad says, Lads, I hope you move Wicklow up a page in the power rankings. Amazing game and result. I hope you realise how much a win means for a small team. Congratulations to Garden. Uh, James says, Two weeks ago, I ripped into Owen for not putting Munster in the red after their loss to Exeter. I have to eat humble pie and admit they should be in the green, given their response with two huge wins. The season is back up and running. Johan van Grand, no more. Johan van Great. <laughs> Step forward. Wow. This is uh, this is a, a real Gilroy special this morning, isn't it? I mean, uh, lo- loving Munster, Hayden Kildare. This is just a complete about turn on all no, your beliefs. No, I love Munster. That's the whole point about this. Yeah, you want you just want them to succeed. You, it, their 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 downturn had, makes you sad, basically. Well, yeah, all great teams need a rival. Mm. Yeah. What's next? Uh, Everton are next. Speaking of all great teams needing a rival, I don't think Liverpool wants any sort of rival in Liverpool at the moment they're talking about a quintuple this year by winning all four trophies and relegating Everton 
that would uh, that's the thing that they want. And yesterday was like I mean we'll get to Manchester United Arsenal, which was for me the 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 chaos of that and the the crapness of it really made it the game at the weekend. But there was also kind of a, a good level of hilarity around Everton against Liverpool yesterday. Not least Anthony Gordon going on uh, Twitter after the game to say that he was uh, fouled. Uh, and that that penalty that wasn't given in the second half should have been given. Uh, I think it was like a couple of the hands up emojis on Twitter yesterday. Frank Lampard giving out about it afterwards, saying if that was a Liverpool decision, if that was Mo Salah, it would have been a penalty. And then obviously uh, Liverpool's Twitter comes out with the statistics that Mo Salah doesn't get fouled very often at all. So uh, on social media, this has kind of taken on a life of its own. Everton versus Liverpool, the flashpoint before half time where uh, Mane puts a hand in the face, the Richarlison is down, lying on the ground, the Kure takes the legs from under a Liverpool player to just try and stop this game. There was enough needle in this, and obviously the cherry on the cake was Pickford lying on the ball late in the first half, and Alisson with uh, Liverpool's cushion in the second half. Uh, the ball rolls to him, and uh, he lies prone on the floor, um, like, uh, like somebody's trying to hide on Call of Duty at the end, taking the piss out of uh, Jordan Pickford. Just a, a, a lovely moment uh, of, and a lovely collection of moments of, of memes, really, throughout this Liverpool-Everton game. And Liverpool were always going to win this fixture. And because of what Burnley did earlier in the game, Everton started the day, started that fixture in the relegation zone, and that's obviously where they end. So I thought they were safe a couple of weeks ago, after they beat Manchester United. But <laughs> I, too, am eating humble pie, because Everton, you can never count on them to, to, to not let you down. If Everton go down, they're going to be the new leads. It could be a generation before they get back. Like, I understand things are different now from when Leeds went down and that the parachute payments make it very likely you're going to be able to keep most of your team together. And uh, most clubs have been able to uh, use that to at least yo-yo back in. Um, but I'm just not sure that Everton are most clubs. It feels like whatever you can say about the Manchester United dressing room, you could say times 100 about the Everton dressing room over the last couple of years uh, with a few obvious honourable exceptions and is Frank Lampard the man you want to yo-yo you back up? I'm not sure. I don't know. Like uh, Burnley's recovery has been remarkable. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> remarkable. And now they they turn from being the hunter to the hunted and let's see if they can maintain what they're doing. But Everton's fixture list, it's not great. Like the one thing that Everton have is that Leeds are also sinking like a stone and that they might be able to catch them. Um, so Everton's fixture list are uh, Chelsea next Sunday, Leicester the following Sunday, Watford midweek, uh, Brentford, who are obviously uh, doing quite well at the moment, and then their final two games are Palace and the final game of the season is at Arsenal, who will definitely have something to play for, or who may actually already be fourth. Is there a possibility they've got a Wrapped up by the last game Arsenal. of the season. Yeah, there's a possibility. Obviously, uh, if this uh, Spurs collapses to be believed, but uh, this is Arsenal we're talking about, and I'm not necessarily sure. Like, I think if we're like on the theme of eating humble pie. Like two weeks ago, I said Arsenal, given their current form, would be lucky if that Tottenham fixture actually mattered for them, that Tottenham will be out of sight at this point and Arsenal will have Chelsea and Manchester United coming down the tracks and uh, Spurs are going to keep winning, Arsenal are going to lose to Chelsea and um, they'll be doing well to beat Manchester United. As it turned out, Spurs lose to Brighton, Arsenal beat uh, those two teams and and things have turned quickly. So, yeah, no, the chances are Arsenal will still have something to play for I think on that final day. But the, the main thing about that fixture is that it's at the Emirates and Everton on the road have been chronic over the last little while. That's been their big issue. Like tonight, like you're right, Leeds United are definitely not in the clear whatsoever. They're playing Crystal Palace tonight. But if, if they were to win tonight, 
that way you would feel that that's a, yeah. a, enough of a buffer. But if they get if they lose that, Leeds then play Manchester City, Arsenal, Chelsea in their next three games after that, which is, I mean, I'm not saying it's zero points guaranteed, but it could well be zero points. So then all of a sudden they've got two games after the start of their season, which is Brighton at home and Brentford away. Again, they could easily, with a uh, gun to their heads, win those two games. So the, the fixture list over the last while is pretty interesting. Burnley play Villa twice. Villa also not entirely safe if everybody no. was to go on a crazy run here. Um, well, you, like, not that you'd be concerned in the, the immediate term about that, but the, like, it's surprising to see them only four points clear of Leeds United because it doesn't feel like Leeds United are only four points behind Aston Villa given the talk around both of those clubs this year. Well, there was an initial, oh, Stevie G's a really good manager yeah. and now it's like, well, it'd be, it'd be remarkable if you were to be gifted the ability to be both uh, a generational talent as a footballer and then also one of the best managers in world football, which is essentially what we're talking about. Anybody who makes it to the Premier League has one of the best 40 or 50 jobs in world football because you're getting paid millions to manage a football team and so you should be one of the very best because there, there aren't that many people who are getting paid millions to manage a football team and so you should definitely be one of the top 50 people in the world at that job and it would be remarkable that you would be like one of the top 10 footballers and also one of the top top 50 managers and maybe yeah. CVG is not that like they've lost more games this season than Leeds and Burnley have lost. Uh, like it, it's just that middle column, which is which is really low. Only Arsenal have have drawn fewer games in them in the Premier League this season, Villa. So that that's been kind of their theme. That maybe in that side of the season, just finding a way to not lose games is something that makes them, you know, at Brighton and and that's the difference between those teams. So I, I wouldn't be overly concerned. Like there's no immediate concern. I don't think. Like as I say, uh, if you're looking at Brentford, for example, who've really gone on the uptick over the last little while, there's only three points between them. Southampton are only three points ahead of Villa, uh, and Villa have games in hand. I think so. I think the, the table uh, is lying a little bit about Aston Villa's current state. Uh, and are they like what if Bur- would you would you back to beat Burnley twice? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like Burnley's fixture list is. Watford, Villa, Spurs, Villa, and Newcastle on the last day of the season who will be completely safe and like we're never going to see each other again. Most of the team are going to be looking at each other. So I'm feeling pretty good if I'm Burnley at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And especially you're looking over at, uh, at what's happening at Everton. That, that's the main reason of hope for Burnley. But like, it would be quite the win because who are you backing to get yourself out of a relegation dogfight? Uh, you probably would have been backing Deitch against Lampard, especially after the win against Everton. And for things to have taken a turn so quickly, as in Burnley to sack him so quickly after that win. And for it to have worked out. But it seems that way. Like, they're very brave. lucky owners if they manage to get out of this. For, yeah, very, very lucky, lucky owners. Rather than, rather than uh, brave, but yeah, no, good old Michael Jackson doing the job. Uh, Villa's fixture list, uh, it, it has Norwich next. So all they've got to do is beat Norwich and they'll be on 40 points and they'll be grand. But if they don't do that, then it's Burnley, Liverpool, Palace, Burnley and City. So, you know, it's not, uh, it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that they get sucked back into it. So the game against Norwich, against Dean Smith, wouldn't that be amazing for Dean Smith to come back and go, screw you, screw you, <laughs> screw you, screw you. That would be pretty remarkable. That, that, but not that, beyond the bounds of possibility in this crazy, topsy-turvy Premier League season that we've had so far. No, it's going to be a good few weeks, for Everton sure. Everton are going to be the new leads. Mark my words, if they go down, there are too many players on too big wages in that changing room who won't take a pay cut... Uh, and will the owners will, will the new stadium go ahead or does this blow the whole thing up I have a strong sense that Everton are completely screwed for a generation if they go down uh, Wayne Rooney's going to get the Everton job if they go down says Peter Wayne Rooney is too smart 
to take the Everton job if they go down, Peter. He wants the Man United job. And uh, I think there's more chance of being the next Man United manager than there is of being the next Everton manager. Could be waiting a while. Uh, GA pundits and the power rankings should be in the red after the weekend, says Edward. Uh, GA pundits for sure, uh, not the power rankings. I think the football pod did a pretty good job of predicting most of the scores, the exception of Paddy back in Armagh, right? I think the other the other two certainly they had Donegal and didn't didn't I don't know have did they pick Wexford on home advantage didn't he? I don't remember. I think he did. Uh, Jared talking about how great Kildare were all spring. Now he's trying to tell us Laird have a chance. Hashtag Jera. <laughs> hey, yes. Says Porrick. Keep that uh, coming, Porrick. No, look, I'm just saying we had a we had a great spring. Jared, we are reborn Jarrah. as a we have an identity and. But there's a banana skin here. That's, that's, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Lie there a banana skin for Kildare. We're not, we're not so arrogant like our, our friends here that we're like, oh, well, we'll just get preparing for an all-around quarter-final because that's what happens. Like, we're not like that. This is the Jack O'Connor legacy. If you're looking for a legacy in Kildare, we're hearing it right here, right now. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, if Jack was still there, we'd be like, all defence. 16 men behind the ball against Louth. How are you going to stop Mulroy? Jesus, we can't. So let's not try. Bit of uh, pent up frustration there, I'm sensing. What's next? Last years. Uh, what's next is Manchester United. Like, if we were putting a game in the green, it would have been Arsenal versus Manchester United in the early kickoff on Saturday. How are Manchester United in the amber hair? Uh, oh, Why sorry, yeah, let me, sorry, let me explain this first of all. Oh, they should be in red, right? As an institution, obviously, they're, they're in the red. But, you know, th- there are people who follow Manchester United closely who are not Manchester United supporters. And for those people, this is green, green, green. This is the greenest thing the performance rankings has ever produced. And like I, I was kind of making the point earlier on that if this was an Amazon documentary, Amazon would have struck gold. But actually, I'm reconsidering that. We actually don't need behind-the-scenes cameras to give us a full, naked, blunt view of the chaos that is ensuing at Manchester United. I think Manchester United have been on these performance rankings every single Monday for the last two months. And... Yes, at times I got bored of Manchester United, but I'm actually getting more and more excited about Manchester United with every passing week, with every new way that they managed to find hilarious ways of creating headlines. Like Saturday was a vintage day. And even if you take away the fact that it was one of the most chaotic games of football we've seen in, in, in recent weeks, like, I mean, two full-backs going up against two full-backs and all four of them just being quite bad at football was, was beautiful. Granite Jack's resurgence was, was great. Bruno Fernandes missing a penalty, sending Ramsdale the wrong way, but Ramsdale still celebrating for some reason. Uh, like the, the, These were all great moments, but it was in the aftermath that things just reached a whole new level. And clearly the best part about it all was Paul Scholes on punditry for the zone who says, I know Jesse Lingard won't mind me saying this, but he's told me that the dressing room is a disaster. Um, and I would probably I had a suggest. quick chat with Jesse there. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying the dressing room is just a disaster. I think Jesse Lingard probably would mind you saying that. As, um, uh, I'm, I, was reading that I was reading that from the back page of um, the Telegraph today. Daniel Zakiri, who I haven't read before, but he's like, are we sure he won't mind, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> are we sure? Are you? Is that Okay. Are you sure? I mean, he might have cost Jesse Lingard a bit of money there. If you're Newcastle or West Ham and you're like, oh, oh, so he speaks to, he speaks to pundits knowing that they're pundits and then the pundits feel enabled to go and tell everybody on telly what's going on. I'm not sure I want that in my team. I don't think I want that for my ball club. <laughs> 
like uh, Skulls uh, just chose to kind of um, explore this thing on Saturday because he too is also enjoying the, the soap opera that is uh, around this club this season clearly he too believes that this is very much a, a good story and a fun story that everybody's kind of enjoying at the moment because look things would probably be better for Manchester United this season maybe we need to kind of enjoy this, this madness for a little bit longer like it's got McTominay um, coming out after the game as well on Saturday a whole lot of problems in terms of players staff everything higher up was his appraisal of the whole thing Rangnick was obviously asked on BT Sport about the Jesse Lingard uh, related comments and he says you'll have to ask Jesse Lingard if you have this information he says I think the whole group got on reasonably well but like earlier in the week Rangnick was describing this thing as open heart surgery as opposed to something cosmetic like some of the sound bites we're getting on a week to week on a day to day basis are excellent like it, it, they are just brilliant content at the moment Manchester United and it, it is ironic that the whole well not, not the whole reason but one of the reasons why they've got themselves into this mess is because they did chase players who would I guess be content for the club like Paul Pogba was uh, a, a great player if you were a content machine as a football club and all of a sudden they're accidentally giving the whole uh, football media beast content that is just beyond everybody's wildest dreams week after week so then they should be in the green really I, I, would, I, would, I would edge them up there personally I'm not a Manchester United fan so I, I would do it but I would, I would suggest the Manchester, the Manchester United, United soap opera is in the green yeah yeah it's, it's glorious it's yeah it's epic uh, I haven't read this, uh, Daniel Zakiri, before, but this is this is excellent stuff. He's talking about the rivalry between BT and um, Sky Sports and the difference between them. And he says Sky are front runners because they've got Keane, and Keane obviously uh, has been, you know, he's, he's reached that uh, eighth stage of grief, as we've spoken about on the show here before. But um, he also says it's important to have a bit of balance here. Uh, the antagonist from a rival club is an important part of the cast with Graeme Soonest, Carragher, and world's most earnest man, Martin Keown, playing the role this week. Their job is to probe prod and sometimes laugh at United's expense which they're more than happy to do though curiously soon it seems to be the one man in the world with a good word to say about the Glazers we shouldn't overlook the host with Dave Jones understated style on Sky preferable to the unctuous leading questions of Jake Humphrey <laughs> Jones knows his guests well enough to be aware of the buttons to press without veering into smarm or thigh slapping while Humphrey oscillates between flattering and baiting them nobody at United is likely to be invited on his high performance podcast anytime soon Proof alone that a slide into mediocrity can have its upsides. <laughs> you were at Alan Partridge last night, weren't you? I was. Yeah, it was I really was. good. I was on Saturday, Saturday night. It was excellent. I oh thought. yeah, genius. The whole uh, the whole Martin Brennan uh, section was that just for us in Ireland, or is that literally for everybody? Just, literally, just about to say it. I get the sense it was for everybody. Yeah. Because a, it was too good to use it on two nights. It was too good. Yeah, and b, also it didn't feel. Like there was very many in jokes. If anything, I felt like the whole thing was uh, like a, a good knowledge of English geography would have served you better than a knowledge of, of Ireland, for example. Wigan, uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, so no, I think I think he's going to use that. His uh, Irish accent is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's uh, as you would expect. Yeah. Uh, right. So, but I just thought that um, I don't know why the segue from uh, Jay Humphreys to uh, Alan Partridge felt, felt normal there but no, it did uh, five minutes past eight this morning Amazon would have been laughing their bollocks off if they were covering Man United instead of Arsenal this season says Yassim and uh, Devo says as an Arsenal fan I thought United were unlucky not to get two more penalties on Saturday Arsenal's defence would give you a heart attack and that's the like, thing that's the thing it's like uh, one of the match reports uh, was a Barney Roney or somebody was like curiously there was stuff for Man United to cling on to in this game yeah like there was actually clear signs of improvement that 
something and then just misfortune because that football is like uh, ultimately a bunch of random things happening so anyway uh, right Roscommon will beat Galway and Cavan will beat Donegal says Connor. well that would blow the championship wide open wouldn't it yeah like I mean both of those teams have uh, have pretty happy memories in the not too distant past of beating those teams um, yeah, what a backdoor that would be of Galway and, and Donegal going obviously Roscommon beating Galway is a much higher likelihood but I think if you're talking about good predictions last week the football pod not predict Cavan to get beaten Oh, did they? I don't. I don't want to step out of line here, but uh, definitely from what I was hearing, uh, Antrim were Antrim were looking good for that. But well, Tommy was predicting that specifically. Yeah. Okay. That's. Yeah. I, I think Tommy. It was, it was just. It was just Tommy. Thirteen points off there, Tommy. Uh, in the green this week, just a couple of things to touch on here. Uh, Claire and Park Joyce are in the green this week. Two uh, two great performances. I'm putting like Claire in there for obvious reasons. There was like a real sense of confidence. It felt going into yesterday's game against Clare, which I was a little bit surprised by. Obviously, I was wrong to be surprised given the performance that they put in. And maybe the reason why I was surprised is because I actually thought Tipperary were quite good the previous week against the Waterford team that are obviously in, in decent enough form at the moment. So Tipperary were bad yesterday. They definitely played worse yesterday than they did the previous week. Obviously, a couple of injuries earlier on. John McGrath going off is not an ideal situation if you're already missing uh, some players like Seamus Callanan, for example. But Clare, I think really would have raised a few eyebrows yesterday with that performance like Peter Duggan being away for a couple of years and then coming back into his first championship game in two years uh, to play to the level that he got to was something that's really going to excite Clare people this year because he was a cornerstone of an attack that came close to getting to an All-Ireland final in 2018. Shane O'Donnell does not need any introduction. Shane O'Donnell's ceiling does not need any uh, illumination for anybody in Ireland. So to see him playing at the level that he's playing at is unbelievably exciting. And possibly most exciting of all is the fact that they would have won the game without Tony Kelly yesterday. Like arguably the best hurler in Ireland. They didn't even need him. So like... I mean, Clare must be eyeing up that court game and thinking to themselves, we've got a real chance of uh, nicking third spot in this game. And that was always going to be the big upshot yesterday. I think Tipperary are out of it now, having lost back-to-back games. That's not exactly a hot take, but I think Clare would have been out of it had they lost. So this was a huge game yesterday and Clare stepped up when it really mattered. Yeah. Um, Clare are going to feel like they're going to cause damage to somebody, certainly when they get out of Munster. Uh, and that forward line looks very potent. Like There was a bit where the ball broke... Yeah, well, the, the and the, the ball broke to Tony Kelly, and already Dogan was like, "This should be a point, and it is." Do you know? It's like you can you can take that to the bank. He is definitely he's and he's only going to reach even higher heights. So, like, you know, they're going to be in games. You'd still say Limerick and Waterford are the top two, and they're the top tier, and they're in a tier on their own, and then everybody else is scrapping it out for that. But that doesn't mean that stuff can't happen in a match, like an early red card, something happens. A bad decision, a good decision. I don't know. The penalty decision was great. The like jersey pulling, yeah, penalty, straight penalty. Yeah, it is. And and then also like take it to the bank. Tony Kelly of a penalty. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. And like even players that didn't even start yesterday. Like the like I mean, uh, Meehan was was due to start. I was really excited to see him at full forward yesterday in his first championship season. So he doesn't even play the game. Like so, there, there's there's options there, and, and the squad runs deep, as I say. And like even it feels like listening to Tommy Walsh on analysis yesterday, feels like they're starting to unlock John Condon's potential from a deeper position a little bit more as well. 
if we're just using yesterday in isolation. So yes, it's an overreaction to suggest that Clare are, are back and are going to land a punch on someone significant this summer, but it's bloody exciting. It is, it is. It's great to see. And obviously they've got uh, Cork and Temple Stadium next because of Ed Sheeran. So they ain't going to be fearing that at all. Cork yeah. are forewarned is the only thing, but if Cork lose that, it's game over for them too, really. Like all of a sudden, that game is the biggest weekend of that weekend. Like after Clare Tip being the biggest one of, of this weekend, I would have, I would have thought. So yeah, Clare, Clare definitely the one to watch. Yeah, delighted for Lowen and delighted for that team. Uh, Joyce uh, taking down Mayo as their last one in green. We're going to talk yeah. in much more detail about this, but like that was they had to do. They 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 just had to get over that line, whatever it took. Yes, yesterday was was a huge huge win for Joyce, and that's kind of why I made the point earlier on that I think that that's the bigger storyline from yesterday, just getting over the line as opposed to the the Mayo fight back at the end. And there's there's a load of really exciting bits from Joyce's perspective, not least the tactical tweak to stop. Horn ball, uh, giving extra pain to, to, to Galway football fans. So they managed to figure that out. I'm, I'm sure Keane O'Neill probably had a part to play in that. That bodes well for them trying to figure out games over the next little while. It's just getting that big win uh, in Croke Park, which will take this team forward. Obviously, they managed to do that in uh, in Kevin Walsh's reign of that 2018 season when when, when they won um, their first game in the Super 8s in Croke Park. So getting back there and getting another win and getting back to the, the All-Ireland semi-finals is absolutely within then Galway's um, reach this season. All right. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs. For an effortless finish to your day, every week we're giving away a Gillette Labs shaving kit to be with the chance of winning. Just let us know who you think should make the performance rankings. We'll read out the best entries a little later on in the show. The best place to enter is the Off The Ball Instagram page. You can see the comments box in our story. Uh, we have a packed show still to come. We're talking football with Daniel Harris next. We'll bring you Brian Kerr's thoughts on Manchester United after this quick break. OTBAM's performance rankings with Gillette. The Football Pod on OTB Sports. Have you ever seen a team like Limerick that are so physically dominant? They're yeah, absolutely... Oh. Financially dominant. <laughs> the Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app.